Our text this morning is uh, Mark chapter 8, a very brief text, verses 27 through 30. I, I invite you to, to turn in your Bibles, uh, or if you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 844. Uh, very familiar passage, a passage that's reflected in all three of the synoptic Gospels. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the Gospels provide a synopsis of the life of Jesus. Um, John kind of stands alone. In, um, in its uh, literature. There are all four Gospels, but John, a little bit different than the other three, uh, but the, the three really giving a wonderful overview of the life of Jesus. As you're turning there, I was reminded of a story in, um, in preparation for this. It, it's probably a legend, but it's, it's uh, based on a, a real university and a real professor. There's a professor at the University of at Duke University named Professor Bonk. B-O-N-K, kind of an interesting thing. You know students are going to have a good time with that, right? Well, Professor Bonk uh, taught uh, intro to chemistry, uh, introductory chemistry, basic lessons right off the bat. And uh, there are two guys that were taking this class, this intro to chemistry class, and they were doing really well in it. And they had made it through the, uh, the midterm exam and did well. They'd done well in all of their labs. And listen, I was a chemistry major for a bit while I was in college, and and I know that it takes a lot to be at a point where you're acing it at this point. Well, they were so very confident they are going to do well in their final exam that they decided the weekend before their Monday exam that they were going to go away to the University of Virginia to visit some friends and probably engage in behavior that, well, they probably should not be engaging in. Well, they went off and they had a really good time. They ended up oversleeping and, and staying later than they believed. They ended up being late and missed the exam on Monday when they finally made it back to Duke University. So they decided in order to, uh, to get past Professor Bonk, uh, they would construct a, a story. They lied to their professor. What they did is they came up to him and they told him that they had gone to University of Virginia for the weekend and had planned on coming back in plenty of time to study and prepare for this exam, but they had a flat tire on the way back. And they had a flat tire on the way back, and so they didn't have a spare. They couldn't get help for a long time, and so they were late getting back to campus. And so the professor thought this over, and he agreed that they could make up the exam on the next day. Well, they were elated, and they were relieved because they really were positioned to make an A in this class, uh, they had just misbehaved the weekend before, and now they've compounded that with a lie. And so they studied that night, and they went back the next day, and Professor Bonk handed them the exams. Uh, well, they looked, and they were rather relieved to see it was only two questions. The very first question they saw, uh, and it was worth uh, five points. And it was basically something about molarity and solution, something simple, a basic chemistry kid could, could take care of that. And so they wrote the answer, and they said, cool, this is going to be a breeze. Well, as they were sitting on opposite sides of the room, you know, because when you take tests, you don't want to be looking, uh, they flipped over. And the second question, which was worth 95 points, Professor Bonk asked them, which tire went flat? <laughs> Some professors are pretty smart. We have a two-question exam in front of us today. Uh, two different types of questions. Two questions based on the, the, same, uh, the same subject matter, but, but two different questions at, at the heart. And um, as I said, this is an account that we find in, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So obviously, very important. And I would even say uh, the zenith 
of the gospel preparation as Jesus is pouring his life into his disciples. Let's read God's word together. We pick up in verse uh, 27 of Mark chapter 8. This is God's word. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, or others say Elijah, and others they say one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Lord, in this brief passage, help us to see the, uh, the value, the strength, the import of, of what we read. Lord, uh, pray that the familiarity of this particular event, this exchange, Father, would, would, would not make us to grow dull in our examination and assessment of it here today. May we deal with these questions by the prompting and the prodding of your spirit, Lord, that we would each ask, who do I say? Jesus is. Thank you for your word, Lord, that it doesn't fail. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, it's a compelling passage. So simple. It's, it's summarized so tight. We're going to talk about that in a second. But, but what we, we see here really uh, by so many commentators is this is the high point of the, the entire gospel of Mark. We certainly see we get to the crucifixion and we see that. But in terms of the ministry of Jesus and his time with his disciples, uh, this, is, this is the pinnacle. Everything prior leads up to this. And, and really everything after flows out of this in his engagement, interaction, and preparation of these disciples to carry on ministry, to do the work of the kingdom and the power of the Spirit. This is the moment in time when the disciples, in their mind, come to grips with who is this man that we've been following. For he prompts them. He, he, he tells them, you have to deal with this. You have to address this. You have to answer this. They become convinced. And they, and they confess to who this person before them is. The Son of the living God. The Christ. We find in the three gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each one brings... Uh, a little more in different detail to the, the description. Always remember, when three people tell a story, they can all tell the exact same story, but provide different details, and they don't contradict each other. And these don't, absolutely do not. It's a wonderful... So when you read in, uh, in Matthew and also in Luke, what Mark is talking about here, uh, each of the writers brings in uh, a bit more of the detail of what went on in that conversation. The disciples have been with Jesus at this point for about two and a half years. They've been walking with Jesus for a while. And we think about the missteps that we think about just a couple of weeks ago, that failure in the boat when, when they had just seen the bread, and then they start arguing they don't have enough bread. We, we, we see them forgetting what happened just prior. We, we see them failing in so many ways. And it says that as they were going along the way, they were walking through the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asked them these two questions. Now, I have said this, and I've become refined, and I pray we always would be seeking to be more and more refined in our thinking about God's Word, but I've become, I believe, a little more accurate, a little more refined in, in my, well, in my description of these two questions. I've always said Jesus asked them an easy question and a hard question. 
But, you know, the first one is not that easy when you really dig into what Jesus is asking of them, is it? When Jesus asks, he says, who do people say that I am? In order to answer that, you've got to know people. In order to answer what do people say about me, who do people say that I am, you must know what people say. You must engage with people about Jesus. And if you're not engaging with people about Jesus, then you don't know firsthand what people say about Him. You might be able to to watch the news or hear some interviews or stuff like that, but you do not have the firsthand knowledge. I can watch the news, but, but if Jesus were to ask you that question, who do people say that I am? Can you give firsthand evidence and examples of the answers that you've received as you've engaged people about our Savior? This first question. Jesus is asking this as they're going through the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, geography is an important part of the story. Geography is vital context. This didn't happen just in some some galaxy far, far away. This is is not some tale told in some mythical... uh, uh, village that, that comes and goes every hundred years in the highlands of Scotland. This is not some magical place. This is Caesarea Philippi. This is a, a place uh, right there at the base of Hermon. Uh, this is a, a town that would have certainly been known in the time of the writing, and we can learn a lot about what's going on just by learning about the dirt on which they walked. Caesarea Philippi was way long ago referred to as Baal Hermon right there at the base of Hermon, uh, but is a place that was characterized by the worship of Baal. Uh, there's much Baal worship that went on there. It became the ancient, ancient city of Panias. Uh, Panias, the name P-A-N, Panias, uh, was named after Pan, that mythical half-man, half-goat god. Um, it's about as far north as Israel ever went, about as far, uh, about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, about 125 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, now, there was a, a shrine that had been constructed there, and there were a lot of little nooks and places where folks would worship Pan. Now, Pan was the god of herds, the god of shepherds, uh, the god of victory and battle because he brought all sorts of uh, confusion about the enemy. It was, he was a god of music. You think about the Pan flute and all that kind of thing. And he was the god of desolate places. This is, this is a bit of the history of the region where Jesus is walking with his disciples and asking them, who do folks say that I am? So a little more context there. But it's no longer known as Panias. Well, what happened? Well, this land had become annexed under Alexa- uh, after Alexander the Great. Uh, it had become uh, annexed uh, in the time of Herod the Great to be part of his kingdom uh, as the... Uh, 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 the ruler there under the Caesar, but as the, uh, the Jewish leader there. Uh, after Herod died, remember, he divided land and that sort of thing up under his uh, children, and this fell to Philip, known as Philip the Tetrarch. Uh, Philip uh, decided he would name this place uh, Caesarea Philippi. Philippi certainly after himself, Caesarea after Caesar, always a wise choice to include the big boss in the name of whatever you name. So now, Here's this first question. This first question is being asked in the midst of a region that had been named after Baal and then later was named after Pan and then was named after Caesar who was known then and growing in people's understanding to be the living God, God walking among them. Uh, It was emperor worship that was going on in that day. And Philip, the one uh, who had um, 
uh, assumed great authority in the region. And with all of these things and the, the notable markers that would have indicated uh, Caesarea Philippi or the pan shrines and things that are there, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? The question becomes a, a little more, um, uh, a little less random at that point, don't you think? As he's walking along, I, I became very uh, reminded of, of Paul as he was in Athens. Remember, as he's talking to the, the philosophers at Athens, he looks around him and he, and he starts commenting. He says, I can tell you're religious people. The, the surroundings are really dictating uh, what's being talked about. Jesus was uh, always engaging his surroundings to talk and make points with his disciples. Talking about whitewashed tombs, as certainly the sun would have been hitting uh, the, uh, uh, the sepulchres of the day and things like that. He would always use the surroundings. And right there, he's in the midst of Caesarea Philippi asking, who do people say that I am? Now, what's really wonderful is if you look at the Matthew passage of this, Peter's response is a little more fleshed out than we see in her Mark. Mark's very terse. Mark's uh, very straightforward and, and simple. Uh, and Matthew's uh, account of this, Peter replies, he says, you're the son of the living God. Well, here we, we see you are the Christ, the son of the living God. All this was part and parcel of Peter's response. But I have to think uh, that, that Peter had to be uh, maybe, maybe foot stomping or punching that word. He says, you are the son of the living God. Not Pan, not Baal. Not mythical, not the, not the emperor worship that, that, that we see uh, throughout the land, but the son of the true, the living, the one who is the living God. Right here in the place where, where the Gentile worship had gone in so many directions, right here we say that you are the son of the living God. Luke brings in a little more detail. It says that as the disciples had come to him, Jesus had been praying. Now, that should come as no surprise. So many occasions when the disciples come to Jesus, they find him in prayer, they find him on his knees where he'd been perhaps for all night long. Luke describes Jesus as praying, and now Mark describes him as walking along uh, the way among the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Well, we need to understand that uh, the, the brevity of writing, it can't limit our concept of what's really going on. This is a conversation that's happening. Um, we think about I used to love watching, I still do, watching uh, TV shows, listening to, to stories and that sort of thing that are in, in uh, series. And, and you think about you know, those good old classic old-time movies that you come back next week, right, and see what happens because the Lone Ranger's hanging off the cliff. Come back next week and see, will he fall to his death? And, and what's the first thing that happens when you come back or when you, you catch the next episode? Previously... The Lone Ranger and Tonto were in this danger, right? And you see uh, a two-minute summary of the 30-minute serial you watched last week. And we see that in TV shows today, too, previously on such and such an episode. What you have is a synopsis of what went on. And that's what we find in the Synoptic Gospels. It's just a few sentences, a few key phrases that help us to understand what's going on. But this was a walking, talking conversation among his disciples as they had come to Jesus in his prayer. And they said, well, let's go. And they begin walking. And they're engaging in this conversation. And what the, uh, the authors are pulling out of it is this what people need to know that the Spirit is prompting them saying, for all the generations to come, they need to know that these questions were involved in, in this considerable conversation. The disciples have come to Jesus, and Jesus asked them, tell me, 
as you're talking to others? He looks them in the eye and he says, as as you have been interacting with people, as I sent you out, as, as you came back, I want to know, who do people say that I am? I do ask you this morning, if Jesus were to ask you that, could you answer it? Sure, we, we talk about those things, what people out there say, but, but could you really tell, as your heart has gone out to people, as you've talked to people about Jesus, what have they told you? Do you know? Could you answer? Like I said, this first question, it's, it's not an icebreaker. It's not a light one. It, it gets to, does our heart... Does our heart ache? Does our heart go out? Does our, do our compassions uh, bubble over when it comes to dealing with the souls and the lives around us? Do we engage people about Jesus? Do we talk to them? Several answers come to the forefront right here in the midst of this. Some say John the Baptist, Jesus. Now, that was a day without Fox News. It was a day without all sorts of uh, uh, publications and photographs and pictures and instant news and that sort of thing. So people have heard about Jesus. You know, there wasn't, you know, really wasn't a way just to walk up on somebody and say, oh, I recognize you from your newsreel. You're Jesus. You know, I saw, I saw you on, you know, in the newspaper. No, that, that wasn't the case. Uh, matter of fact, I, Isaiah speaks about the, Jesus in anticipation of him, says uh, that we took no account of him. Uh, there was nothing really about him that would have made him stand out physically. He was just like us in every way, a common fella, only without sin. So people look and they say, well, well, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Well, you know what? I've, I've heard about John the Baptist. Are they the same? Because there's all kinds of stories that were going on and rumors that were being passed around and word of mouth, and we know how that game is played, right? Rick tells Joan a secret, and she turns around and tells Don, and... He turns around and tells Wilda, and by the time we reach over here, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the way it started, right? And, and the idea in a word-of-mouth culture, there were so many rumors and so much speculation going on, and so people were saying, you know what, maybe it's John the Baptist. And somebody would say, well, John the Baptist uh, is dead. Don't you remember? He, he was killed, had his head cut off, brought out back out at the, at the feast on a platter. Well... You know, I've heard about people being raised from the dead. Maybe it's just John come back from the dead. Speculation, rumor, discussion. Why? Well, because there was, there was some issue there. There was some issue because uh, to, to turn around and say, well, that he is the Messiah uh, would have been to accept the fact that he is now fulfilling that which has been promised. Those people had been anticipating a Messiah for centuries. Centuries they had been waiting expecting this Messiah so, so clearly, even in the silence of the intertestamental period, they're waiting to see, when is Messiah coming? And, and they look at Jesus and they say, that's not it. Maybe it's John the Baptist. Maybe it's Elijah. Elijah was another option. Remember, Elijah, he didn't die. He had that wonderful ride, the first Uber experience, where he, he took uh, that chariot of fire into heaven, right? And, and maybe the, the chariot brought him back. And, and well, it would be a wonderful thing because the promise is Elijah would come and then Messiah would come. So maybe he is Elijah. Now Luke and Mark both say maybe one of the prophets, that's something else. But Matthew specifies that they were saying uh, that maybe it's Jeremiah. Maybe Jeremiah has come. But that's a very interesting thing, one of the prophets. Why, why would you pull Jeremiah? Why would, well, here's, here's a kind of a, a tradition that had sprung up among the Jews in that day is that in anticipation of the Babylonian captivity, 
Uh, it was said that Jeremiah went in the temple and took the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, and he took them away, and he put them somewhere at Mount Nebo. And according to tradition, before the Messiah would come back, Jeremiah would return and would go get the altar of incense, and he'd go get the Ark, and when he recovered the Ark, then Messiah would come. Again, this was kind of a tradition. It's based on some writing that was found in 2 Maccabees, the apocryphal book, um, but it... Uh, uh, was a tradition that had kind of sprung up that Jeremiah was going to come and he was going to accomplish these things before Messiah came. So here's what people are saying. Maybe it's John the Baptist. Maybe this is a miraculous thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe he is just a strong, gifted preacher and prophet. Or maybe he is, we hope, at least the harbinger, the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. But when asked, people said, he is not the Messiah. At least that was not an answer that they gave. We have to know, friends. We have to know what false notions are out there. We have to know what ideas about Jesus people have. We must listen to them. Because the fact of Jesus is pretty universally accepted. The fact of Jesus. That is, that Jesus is a historical figure. That... You know, you look across world religions, uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. We look at virtually any world religion. We look at most, even even uh, skeptics about biblical things. We'll look back and, and recognize at least that Jesus was a man who lived in history. But you have to ask then, who are they saying that he is? And they'll say a good teacher. They'll say a model. They'll say a, um, you know, just depending on, uh, their particular worldview, uh, a Muslim would say he was a great prophet. Uh, we all, are, m- most of us, are familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis's discussion about that. When people say, "Well, Jesus, he was a really good teacher," and if that's where they leave it, C.S. Lewis raises his trilemma: the three options you have. He said, "You can't get away with saying Jesus was just a good teacher because you have to deal with what Jesus said." And if he was just a good teacher, that for him to claim deity, for him to claim authority to forgive sins, would require two other things. One is he could be a liar that would make him a very evil man and not a good teacher, and that he is deceiving people to make himself look big. For whatever reason he was deceiving people, he said it would be like a demon from hell. So that's a possibility. If you say Jesus existed and he said these things, and he was not who he said he was, then he could be a liar, or he could be a lunatic. And the way Lewis phrased that in his wonderful British way, he said uh, he could be a lunatic, you know, a man who uh, was on par with someone who walks around uh, claiming to be a poached egg. I like that. Crazy man thinking he's a poached egg. He said he could be, he could be crazy. But he also then talks about the fact of, of his disciples so very convinced, and we see the reality of the miracles and everything that happened. Even those hostile to Jesus recognized what was going on, the miracles and the, the incredible things that they saw. Just a madman couldn't do that. And so Lewis says the third option, the only inescapable conclusion, if you dismiss the first two, is that he is Lord, as he said he is. And so we, we have to ask the question, we have to talk to people, who do you say this Jesus is. Tell me about him. What do you understand about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? We even found that. I thought it was really cool when I was uh, growing up and we were dealing with, with rock music and all the evils of rock and roll music and talking with people. And I, uh, I was just so excited to be able to go back to teachers and parents and say, yeah, but the Doobie Brothers said, Jesus is just all right by me. <laughs> is that enough? Who do people say that he is? 
he's an all right kind of guy. It's not. It's not enough. So we get to the second question. The second question, the critical question, when Jesus then turns and says, who do you say that I am? Of all questions, I want you to, to, to see. Do you really understand that this question is a question in which eternity hangs? Eternity hangs in the balance of all questions. This question is, who is Jesus? Heaven and hell are literally in the real and sincere answer to this question. And so that question is before you. It's hanging there like the sword of Damocles today. Who do you say is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, key point, the reality of Jesus is not tied up in the answer to the question. Let me explain what I mean by that. The reality of Jesus is not tied up in in, in the answer to that question. Jesus does not become who you say he is. Jesus is, now what say you of that is the better way of phrasing that. Jesus is. Jesus who is, is is defined. Jesus who is, is real. And we are asked, do you understand who he is? Now, people want to believe in Jesus in a certain way. We talked about this in Sunday school with the students today, that idea that people like to think about Jesus in one way, or people like to think about God in another, like to think about God like Santa Claus, or like a father who's just going to give you everything you want, or people like to think about Jesus is just a buddy that you can go sit down and have a beer with. People want to think about it in a number of different ways, but that doesn't make that Jesus. But here's what happens. People come up with what notion of Jesus they want, and then they stop listening to other people's discussion about it. And they cocoon themselves in their own idea, and they believe that that idea that they've constructed can save them. And that is not a biblical understanding of Jesus. The Bible defines that as idolatry. We shape and fashion out of words and ideas a Savior that we like, and we fall down and worship that. That's idolatry. Do you understand that? That makes sense? Idolatry, the idea that we shape and fashion and mold something and then turn around and worship it. And so what Jesus is is basically sitting in front of his people, he is sitting there eye to eye with them, and basically he is the great I am, and now who is that I am, and what do you understand of him? So now what's the reality of the disciples? The disciples, as they're answering this question, do they really believe he is the Son of God? Now, when he walked on the lake, they they made a statement, truly you are the Son of God. Uh, Do they believe he's the Messiah? Well, in John chapter 1, John said uh, that this is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist identified him as the one who was to come. and, And they accepted that in great measure. Andrew even proclaims him to be the Messiah. Nathaniel calls him the Son of God, the King of Israel. And we even see the demons crying out, Son of David, or Son of God. We, we see all of these testimonies going on, but Jesus is pressing into the heart. He's pressing into the soul. He's pressing into the mind and saying, really, really, be done with pretense. Be done with hypocrisy. Be done with, with ideas and facades. Who is Jesus to you? Is, is, is this Jesus? Do we understand Jesus as he is clearly presented to us? They're saying, do you understand that I am the Messiah? And that is what Peter responds. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in this conversation, remember, it's more than just a couple of sentences. They're, they're pouring it out. They're unpacking it. They're working through it together. And the implications are beginning to sink in. 
the reality of, of the Messiah. They're struggling with this. They're struggling because they have doubts. It's not the Messiah that they had expected. It was not the Messiah that they had planned on. It was not their idea of a Messiah. And we struggle with that too because, because Jesus is not always who we expect Him to be at the moment. His plan is not always what we want it to be right then, but it is perfect and it's right. So much of discussion about Jesus, about His plan, about His way, about God's love for us, so much of it ends up falling back to Well, that's just not what I like or expected or even want. For God's plans are not our plans. God's ways are not our ways. And we need to to look and to see Jesus as He is and His Messiahship to be fully biblical and according to God's plan. Now, all the people talking, they're not saying He's the Messiah because he doesn't fit their preconceived theological notions. He's obviously a prophet. We'll grant him that. But he's not done what we thought the Messiah would do. In our walk, let me me encourage you to make this very, very personal. In our walk, many of us come to Jesus and expect our lives to be radically changed and different. And what would that look like? Well, I'd be stronger, I'd be better, I'd be more popular... Uh, whatever you might think, Jesus is going to make my life better. Let me tell you, Jesus does make your life better, but it, only when you look at it through an eternal lens. That, that to follow Jesus in that day, and we're going to see that coming up very shortly, if anyone would follow Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't sound like how to, uh, to, to, to lead a, a worldly successful life by following Jesus. An easier life in three simple steps. Now that's a popular message, but it's not a biblical message. That, that Jesus is just going to make your life easier and take care of everything. Oh no, when we follow Jesus, we're, we're going to be burdened. We're going to, be, we're, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have trouble. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's not the Messiah that so many people want. And so they construct one that they want and they follow him. So I ask you this morning, I ask you, what say you? Peter, Peter answers for this group. And Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. You see, we can't just sit there and and think it all the way out just with our own reasoning. And we can't just just live it and and everything's going to be made clear that it is born of the Spirit. It's God at work in us. It requires divine intervention to make this confession. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No man can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what, what, God, uh, what Jesus is saying to Peter there. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, but you are indeed a son of your heavenly Father because he's made this known to you. And so this morning I do ask you, as Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that Jesus is? And we say this within the context of the ground on which we walk in a land where, where, where things are worshipped, where power and reputation, where comfort and ease and entertainment are all worshipped, they are all held up to be the highest of standards. And we, we look at and all the shrines that are constructed to such worship around, and, and they're well known. And we have to say, who do people out there in the midst of this land, who do they say Jesus is? Are you asking them? Are you talking to them about that? Are you listening sincerely to know where they're placed in their eternal hope? You've got to know it. You've got to reach out. And then our Savior looks and He says, but 
can you engage them? Because you know who Jesus really is. Who do you say that he is? That doesn't change who he is. All it does is it articulates that you know Jesus as he is. That's what's being asked here. As I said, all eternity hangs in the balance of that question. We can, we can argue over other theological questions through all the days of our life. But eternity really is in that question. Is Jesus the Messiah? And is he my Savior? Is he my Lord? Is he the one who has given himself that I might be a child of God forever and ever? Now, next week, see, we're talking about the person of Jesus here. Next week, we're going to talk about the plan of Jesus, right? What's going to happen? Jesus is fixing to start explaining how he's going to go to Jerusalem and how he's going to die. And Peter's saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the plan. And Jesus has some pretty straightforward words for Peter about trying to come up with a better plan than God. But let me encourage you this week. If you if you have not wrestled with that question, who do I say that Jesus is fully, perfectly, biblically? Don't go away to UVA and party with your friends and miss that exam. Pray with me. Lord God, two simple questions and so little time to to unpack them, Lord. I pray that those would, would be upon our minds, that they would ring in our spirit. That as we seek the things of this world, that we would hear our Savior ask, who do you say that I am? Are you saying in this moment that I'm second in your life? Are you saying in this moment that I am submissive to your wants and desires? Am I, you say in this moment that I'm a part of who you are and not all of who you are? Lord, I pray that we would ask that question of ourselves, that we would hear our Savior demanding that answer. And Lord, that we would respond with the promise and the reality of God made flesh. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the one sent of God, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.